Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Jared, and I'm the group's resident here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. And so whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. All right, welcome back. That was fun, wasn't it? No? All right. <laughs> just having fun with you. That was a lot of fun. My favorite's when the, the kids are just looking at you and they just smile and glow. And it's like, this is not real parenting. That's not how it goes, is it? For all of us that have kids, it's like, you, you did it perfectly. And then they're probably all crying right now. So uh, here's the deal. How many of you find it hard to forgive somebody ever? Have you ever found it hard to forgive somebody, hard to embrace forgiveness ever? Let me show you an article I stumbled on not that long ago. It popped up in my newsfeed. It says, vegan takes neighbors to court over smell from their barbecue. <laughs> Let me ask you again, is it ever hard to find forgiveness in your heart for somebody? I got to tell you this story. It's wild. It's actually, it's a true story. It's from 2018. It says, an Australian woman garnered international attention for suing her neighbors for the smell of grilling meat. She took her suit to the Supreme Court of Western Australia, where she claimed her neighbors were deliberately interrupting her garden time by barbecuing meat, smoking outdoors, and then this is the best part, and letting their kids play basketball in their backyard. Barbarians. <laughs> I love this story. Her case would eventually be dismissed by the courts, but not by public opinion. A Facebook event was created for a community-wide barbecue in front of her house. <laughs> that was also shut down after over 20,000 people said they planned to attend. I was reading the comments, people are like, I'm flying from Florida for this. I'm going to the land down under to make a statement. We are not good at forgiveness as a people. We're just not good at it. It doesn't come natural to us as a people. That's why we got to talk about forgiveness. Uh, our culture, the way that we often function as people or as a country, uh, just maybe as families, it's often this. You've heard it before. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, shot for shot, pain for pain, hit for hit. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. And that's exactly what happens here. But it's not that. It's, it's one step further. I mean, you want to you take us to court and then somebody else jumps out? Fine, we're, we're going to go all out after you. We're going we're gonna to punish you for that. We're going to make you pay for that. You've hurt us. You've cost us. Therefore, a hurt and a cost and pain is headed your direction. The, the story we're, that we're looking at right now is Jonah. We're just about to start Jonah chapter four. And if you're joining for the first time, if you're visiting, especially for child dedication today, let me just catch you up. Jonah is the prophet of God. Uh, he is the perfect example of what not to be like. Uh, the whole story, I mean, it's just comical. He's a, a character that we can all really relate to. He says no to God. He runs in the opposite direction. He's very selfish. He's very inward focused. But what we see throughout the entire book of Jonah is God puts himself on display. The book about Jonah isn't about Jonah, it's about God and it shows God's grace and God's mercy and God's compassion and how God chases Jonah. When Jonah gives God every opportunity just to kill him, just to make him disappear, to make him an example, God doesn't take it. He's slow with Jonah. He's patient with Jonah. 
he's compassionate on Jonah. And so Jonah, after giving a second and a third and a fourth chance, he finally goes to the place of Nineveh that he didn't want to go. It was the place that he detested. He walked through the city. He said, 40 more days and God is going to destroy you. And probably the best revival that our world has ever seen, the entire city turns its heart back to God. They all repent. I mean, it's incredible. This is how chapter three ends. It's Jonah three, verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. So far, incredible story. Wow. You see how the disobedience of one man when God gave a chance after a chance after chance after chance led him to the place. Now you go, now I understand why God was so set on sending Jonah to Nineveh because God was after an entire people. He wanted to save an entire city, a city that could have been destroyed and wiped out. And you think of people and families, the wickedness that they had turned against God, but God was slow. God was patient. God was kind and compassionate. And he sends Jonah and all of them turn. Wow. If you're Jonah, how are you feeling right now? Well, let me tell you how Jonah's feeling. Jonah chapter four, verse one, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Do you feel the plot twist coming? Here's what I want to tell you before I I get too deep into the content for today. Today is probably going to be the most relatable sermon of the entire series. It's also probably going to be the most painful. It's probably going to hurt the most for you. We're going to talk about the idea and the topic of forgiveness. Jonah puts it on display. Jonah, I mean, even in these short couple words, to Jonah, this seemed wrong. These people should have paid. Jonah, to catch you up, hated the Ninevites. He hated them. They'd been enemies for a long time, Israel and Nineveh. They have generation after generation after generation of pain and brokenness and sin and conflict and dysfunction. All Jonah wanted was for them to disappear. And so when God shows the same compassion and the same empathy and the same forgiveness to an entire people that happens to be his enemy, Jonah's response is, that is very wrong. Then this next verse, some of your Bibles say pray. The version that I chose says complained. It goes like this, verse two. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now. Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Uh, it's dramatic, isn't it? I mean, when, uh, on a Sunday when we have lots of kids up here, does that remind you of a tantrum that you have endured? It's like, oh, you just, your legs become spaghetti. You don't stand on your own. Jonah's complaining and he's whining and it's done through prayer. And he's going, just kill me. I'd rather be dead than see you spare all of these people. God, this is unfair. But he highlights God's character in his prayer, in his complaint. He says this, I knew, I knew you wouldn't destroy them. I knew that about you. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you would let them off. I knew you had mercy and unfailing love. And because you have all of those things and you decided to give it to my enemy, just kill me. That's what I want. Just kill me now. I would rather die than see that, which brings me to this point here. Jonah would rather die than see his enemies forgiven. Can anybody relate to that piece? 
I'm not looking for hands in this sermon, okay? Just so you know, especially if you're sitting next to them, okay? I'm not looking for hands. We learned last week, I do better when my hands are in my pockets. Sit tight. But I really want to ask you, like, when you look at that statement, Jonah would rather die than see his enemies forgiven. Can you relate to that at all? The person that hurt you the most, the person that took something from you, the person that violated you, the person that has caused so much damage and pain, not just in you, but maybe in in your family or in your marriage or with your kids or with your job, the person that, that did something that to them was nothing, but to you, it ruined everything. You start getting at the idea of forgiveness and we start asking questions like who's allowed to, to get forgiveness and how much and how much is too much and when, when is too far and, and God, does forgiveness mean that everything that they've caused me just goes away? These are the types of questions. And another question is how much pain does someone have to cause you to make you pray that prayer? That I would rather die than see them get forgiven. This is why forgiveness is so hard for us as a people is because it touches and it affects and it pokes and it points out the most broken, painful parts of our hearts that if we're so honest, many of us would rather just move on and never deal with in our entire lives. And yet here's the book of Jonah and God uses Jonah to bring about something, not just in him, not just for the people of Nineveh, but for us. Here's a really hard truth that I had to wrestle with and I've had to come to terms with in my own life is forgiveness is required as a follower of Jesus. I did some homework and just wanted to study like how how do you define forgiveness? Because if we can start there, maybe maybe we can all land in the same spot together. Forgiveness, uh, and I pulled this from uh, a large college website. This is an academic way of describing this. Forgiveness is a deliberate decision to release feelings of anger and vengeance towards someone who has harmed you. Let me say it one more time. It's a deliberate decision. I've, I've made a choice to release feelings of anger and vengeance towards someone that has harmed you someone that cost you, someone that inflicted pain on you. Here's what forgiveness is not. It's not glossing over what was done. It's not denying the seriousness of an offense. It's not forgetting it, and it's not condoning it or excusing it. Here's the thing that I want to tell you. I I know a lot of your stories in this room. And the weight of a lot of those stories and the weight of things that have been done to many of you and the weight of the things that you have endured at the hands of other people in many of your lives, the weight was on me as I was writing this sermon, thinking of you. I have some of them myself, deep pains and deep wounds and deep areas of brokenness that I go, I don't, I don't want forgiveness here, God. So just so you all know, we're, we're on equal footing here, but I think God actually has something. And it, it's not just for you as an individual. I think he has something for your marriage. I think he has something for your family. He has something for the community that you're a part of. He has something for this church. He has something for this country and he has something for this world. If his people will simply embrace the idea of forgiveness, the way that Jesus outlines it. But we have to understand our understanding of forgiveness is paramount to our understanding of God. When Jonah quotes all of these things about God, he's quoting a passage of scripture actually found in Exodus 34, where God describes himself. 
So if we want to understand what forgiveness means, we also have to understand who God actually is. Exodus 34, there's this interaction between God and Moses. Moses was the character that led the people out of Israel, uh, led the Israelites out of Egypt. And so here's Moses. He has this encounter with God on the top of a mountain. And it's, it goes like this. God's describing himself to Moses. It says, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. Do you notice how similar the language is that Jonah uses and that God uses to describe himself in Exodus 34? I mean, you can lay them right on top of each other. It's like the same words. Jonah Jonah is saying, I hate this because you're showing it to them. You're showing it to my enemy. You're showing it to the one that hurt me. You're showing it to the one that has affected me for generations. You're channeling the forgiveness and the love and the sacrifice and the unfailing love. You're channeling all of that towards a person that I have deemed does not deserve it. Here's the problem with forgiveness. And it's the same thing that LJ was talking about right at the beginning. Forgiveness requires us to surrender that we no longer get to decide who gets to be forgiven and who does not get to be forgiven, that we actually surrender that to God and God gets to be the one to decide because just as much as God forgives others that have hurt us, God also has decided to forgive us. But man, the wrestling of how much should I forgive and who should I forgive and how much is too much, that's all throughout the Bible, just like it is all throughout our lives. So here's the thing, if I could promote an argument for you about forgiveness, because that's what I would need on this topic. Uh, Here's three verses. You can write these down. I don't have them on the screen, but if you want to look these up, if you want to read through them and get more of the context here, here's different areas of the New Testament that talks about forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says this, forgive each other as Christ forgave you. That's the first one. Mark 11, verse 25, it says, when you pray, if you have something or if you're holding something against someone else, forgive them so that you may also be forgiven. Matthew 6, verse 14, it says this, for if you forgive, your heavenly father will forgive you. But then this is where my brain starts going haywire. But if you don't forgive, then you also won't be forgiven. Forgiveness is required if you're a follower of Jesus. There's no play there. Forgiveness is required because we are also embodying Jesus to our enemies. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Peter came up to Jesus one time. They were talking and and Peter was so proud of himself. He's, He's the character I can relate to the most because he thinks he gets it right. And then he shows up and he goes, look it. And then Jesus goes, not even close again. Dang it. Peter comes up to Jesus and, and, and Peter goes like this. I'll put it on the screen. Peter asked him, uh, he said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now for us, you're like, why are we putting a number to this? What does this mean? Here's what was taught in the day, in that culture, three times. Rabbis, teachers, pastors, you could call them. What they would teach is you forgive three times. They would suggest don't forgive more than three times. Peter thinks he's an overachiever. He shows up and he goes, hey, seven, seven times, Jesus? Here's Jesus's response. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Do you hear all of the air leave the balloon that Peter is holding? When he's all excited, then 
70 times seven. And he's like, I'm not a math guy. Where's the accountant? What, how many times is that? It's 490 times. Do you think Jesus actually meant 490? For those of you that are good with numbers and keeping track, do you think once you hit 491, God lets you off the hook? This was Jesus's point. It's funny, Jesus actually refers to another character early on in Genesis chapter four named Lamech, who basically said, if somebody hurts me, if somebody affects me, I will avenge myself 70 times seven. What he was saying is unlimited. I will bring unlimited vengeance. I will make you pay for the rest of your life unlimited. Jesus in the New Testament says, you want to know how much you're supposed to forgive? Unlimited. Because that's what the Father offers to us. It's not the number 490. He's completing what was originally said in Genesis chapter 4, where Lamech put himself above God and said, God may avenge Cain. If you remember the story, Cain and Abel, God may avenge Cain seven times, but I will avenge whoever hurts me 70 times seven. Infinite pain, infinite turmoil, infinite damage, infinite lack of forgiveness. There's no hope. Desmond Tutu said there is no future without forgiveness. Jesus offers a totally different way. He looks at Peter and he says, forgiveness is required. It's not something you can check the box and move on with your life. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to surrender to me, then the person that hurt you the most is still owed your forgiveness. But don't miss the last part of that Exodus 34. We don't have to put it back on the screen, but what it said was, but I do not excuse the guilty. It's a subtle reminder, and we're going to talk about it here in two weeks, that God says, justice remains mine. God will take care of that. God, God will impose justice on the world, on us. And, and he does so through his son, Jesus. But it's this reminder that we are not to take the place of judge. We're not the one to decide when enough is enough. As followers of Jesus, we surrender that. We lay that down and we give it to him. Don't think I'm standing on this stage because I have this all figured out. If there's anything farther from the truth, I don't know what else I would say. This is an area of deep struggle for me. Uh, I have like four different stories that I wrote for this section. And every single one of them, I went, that's way too personal. And they're going to hear this somehow, some way. I, I can't share that level of depth. But so here's what I'm letting you know. There's a lot of pain that has been done to me. There's pain that I've done to others in my family, in my neighborhood, in extended family, in other relationships, even some of them attached here to the church. This is, this is hard for me. Sometimes, I don't know if you ever feel like this, I feel like I'm walking around with this list or this sheet of like, these are the people that have wronged me that it's still not made right. And I have it, it's part of why I see a counselor. In fact, one of the things he asked me to do maybe a year and a half ago, it was, one, it was one big one, one that I'd wrestled with for decades. And he goes, have you ever, did you ever write it down? And he goes, let's, let's do this exercise. And so I sat in the chair and he sat there and he had this piece of paper. And on the left-hand column, he said, articulate to me everything that has happened because of that. And so all of the offenses start coming out. They just start spewing out every single one of it, and this and then that and then this. And, and it was like, 
forcing me to sit down and actually process what was the damage that has been done, not just at the time, but now as a result. And he listed it. it. There's something powerful when you have a list like that and you can say, okay, I release it. I can bring forgiveness here. Forgiveness is a choice. Who is it that triggers you? That's how I described it a lot of my life. It's I'd walk into a room or I'd walk into a family gathering or I'd walk uh, down the street, pick, pick an area, maybe online that somebody's photo pops up or a video or you see something that triggers you and you go, that's, that's unfair. That's unjust. This per, that person cost me and they don't know and they don't care. Who is it? Who is it for you? Who is it that you think of? Who is it that on the balance of equality, you are owed and it hasn't been made right yet. Who is it for you that comes to mind? I was listening to a, a whole series on forgiveness in preparation for today's message. There's this church down in Dallas, Texas. It's called Upper Room. And so it, it was a lot, uh, I think it was four weeks of content where they unpack forgiveness. But he actually gave the, the lead pastor, he, he gave some really like tangible, practical steps for forgiveness that I actually wanted to share with you. Because I think so often we, we show up to a message like this or a service like this or a situation with brokenness and we think, okay, here's what we gotta do. It's a one and done deal. I made my list with my counselor. I scribbled it all out and I said, I forgive. And we crumple it up and we throw it in the garbage. If you're anything like me, I find the garbage and I find the paper. Before we leave, it's like, I still want that. And I put it in my pocket and I come back to it. Have you ever tried to forgive somebody and then you did it and you said the words and then you end right back where you started? And it was as if you didn't do anything. Some of this process that he shared, I thought was so valuable that I just wanted to share it with you. So let me, let me articulate some of them. The, these five steps of forgiveness. The first one is this, it's acknowledge the pain and the blame. This is a good, you can watch it online later too, or take a picture on YouTube or here. I'll, I'll list all, there's five of them. I'll list them, but the, the, I'm gonna walk through each one. The first one is acknowledge the pain or blame. Acknowledge what was done. Sometimes it helps just to write it down. Maybe it's in a journal, maybe it's with a counselor, maybe it's with a trusted friend. Write it down and share with somebody what was the offense that was actually done and who did it? Where does the offense lie? Number two is this, identify with the offender's humanity. Uh, this one's tough. And I say that as if the other ones aren't tough. They're all tough. This one's tough because what I've learned about David's personality and how David functions is oftentimes I remove the humanity from the people that have hurt me. A question like this, why do they act like that? What happened to them? What environment did they grow up in? What trials did they endure? What did they lack growing up? What are they desperate for? What's their current reality? These are questions that when I'm healthy and oftentimes that's when I have somebody else with me that's processing, I can actually sit and, and, and the humanity part of my offender comes to life. And all of a sudden, they're not this villain that's far off, that's in need of removal or destruction. All of a sudden, they're, they're a person with deep brokenness 
You know, have you heard the statement before, hurt people hurt people? That's been so true in my life. Every offender, as I sit with this and I start unpacking, it's like, man, they've, they've been hurt. Identify with the humanity of the person that's hurt you. Number three is this, refuse to take revenge or enforce penalty. Any justice people in the room? Oh, you've checked out already. That's what I would do. A refusal to enforce the penalty. If I said this one differently, or if I, if I described it differently, what I would say is when the opportunity presents itself to get even, you let it pass. When the opportunity shows up for you to hit one more zinger, say one more thing, shoot one more text, inflict one more wound, it's not gonna be the mortal wound. It's not gonna be the one that takes them up, but it's one more that you go, I just, you just need a taste of what you've cost me. Just one more. Uh, number three is you refuse to do that. You look the opportunity in the eye and you say, no, I won't. I'm just gonna let it pass. It hurts when you let that walk by. But the reality is, and the knowledge and the understanding is this, it's not gonna help you anyway. But what the enemy would like you to believe, what Satan would want you to believe is that if you take one more shot, you'll get relief. If you take one more hit, it will do something inside of you. You'll feel like you were able to impose some amount of justice and it doesn't. It perpetuates the cycle of pain and brokenness and revenge and sin and death. So number three, as hard as it is, you refuse. You just let it go. Number four is this, you willingly endure the pain that was caused. This one, I just picture like a sacrificial lamb. I don't know what it is about this one. I just picture like you get on your knees and you go, I'm just gonna take it. This is, this is what a parent does for their kids. I'm just gonna take this one. This is what a spouse does for their other spouse, they just take it. This is what a leader does for their organization. This is what Jesus does for us. You, you willingly endure the pain that was caused. Do you notice the heart posture that shifts? You say, I'm just gonna take it. I'm just gonna own it. I, I, I picture the, the analogy of a lightning rod. When the lightning strikes, it's grounded. One of the things that we often underestimate is a, a choosing to deny forgiveness to somebody is not grounding it. It electrifies the situation and you. And you know who this affects the most when we refuse to do this? The people closest to us. One of the authors on I don't remember what it was. There was a lot that went into this one. Uh, they said, a lack of forgiveness ages like milk. That's funny. It just gets worse and worse and worse. It gets moldy, it gets stinky, and the stench 
grows and grows and grows. And what you see is one issue, one conflict, one offense, one sin, one area of brokenness that has affected an entire family or an entire company or an entire church or an entire nation or an entire world. Figure it out, whatever it is for you, that one offense affects everybody else. And oftentimes it's this, because we're not willing to take that. That's not mine. And we pass it on to the next person. The problem is we don't get to decide who that gets passed on to. And then number five, you pray for and extend blessing to your offender. This is the one where I relate to Jonah and I say, God, just kill me now. I do not want to do that. I had a situation probably six months ago. I was carrying my list. I had my list of people that have hurt me, offended me, wronged me. It's that I was holding on to that. And I felt like uh, what God said, it was through a mentor of mine. I felt like what God says, you need to do this is to actually pray for blessing over all of those people that have taken something from me, that have significantly wounded me, that have hurt me. If I used an illustration to show you what this looks like, I, I found this video. It was, in, it was a part of that series that I mentioned. Uh, I want to show you a picture. The, the gentleman's name is Botham. His name is Botham Jean. He was 26 years old. He was an accountant and he lived in Dallas. This is three, three and a half years ago. And Amber Geiger, she was a Dallas police officer. She just got off a 13 hour shift and she was helping a SWAT team arrest three suspected robbers. She arrived home around 10 p.m. And as she entered the apartment, she found that the door was slightly ajar and somebody was sitting on the couch in the dark. She thought he was an intruder and she pulled out her gun and she shot unarmed Botham Jean in the, te in the chest. And moments after the shooting, Geiger realizes she's in the wrong apartment. She was charged with murder. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And at the trial, Botham's brother puts Jesus and forgiveness on display like I have never seen before. Let me show it to you. For myself, I I forgive you, and I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it again. I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do and the best would be give your life to Christ that's, I'm not going to say anything else I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do again I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you.
I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Powerful, isn't it? It's powerful because I think it hits all of our wound in a different way. The idea of looking at the one that took something from you that can't be replaced, it can't be restored, it can't be brought back, there's no redo looking that person in the eye and releasing them and saying, I forgive you. And Jonah would rather die than see his enemies forgiven. Jesus would rather die than see his enemies condemned. I think as a church, what could God do in the hearts of marriages, of families, of groups and neighborhoods, businesses, schools, countries. What could God do if, if his people embraced forgiveness like Botham's brother? And say, you know, the best thing you can do is give your life to Christ. And I'm going to be the embodiment of Jesus to you. Who do you need to forgive? It's not a one and done deal. It's a stepped process. It brings layers. It's really a lifelong journey. That's what I've learned. It's a lifelong journey. So the invitation that I would give all of you is inviting the Holy Spirit into the place of your heart where the walls are high, place that you've allowed to get hard so that it doesn't get hurt or affected by anybody else, to allow the Holy Spirit in, to surrender, to make yourself available, just like we were singing about earlier today, to say, Jesus, I invite you into this place to bring softness in my heart so that you can do a work in me because we can't forget that we're Jonah, that God has already forgiven us, that we are on the receiving side of forgiveness. And so our heart posture has to be, if Jesus is going to forgive me, then when it comes to my offender, then so will I. I'd love to just close us in a time of prayer before we go into our closing worship set. Let's pray together. God, we just come before you and uh, this story hits close to home, God. It moves me every time I watch it. It hurts just because we know uh, Maybe we don't know the extent of a loss of a loved one like that, but some of us do. Some of us, God, know the pain and the loss of a loved one where we weren't able to forgive them before they passed. So 
some of us know the loss and the pain that comes with the aftermath of what was done to us. And so, Holy Spirit, I, I just invite you into the space. God, we know we can't fix it. We know that there's layers. We know that it takes forever, but we know also that you've invited us on the journey of forgiveness so that you can bring hope and you can bring restoration and you can bring redemption and you can bring freedom. Jesus, that's what we want. We just want freedom. And so in this room right now, God, I, I just pray for your freedom. I pray for your Holy Spirit over each and every person that you would do inside of them what it is that you want to do, that you would cultivate a heart of forgiveness and a heart of love so that as they leave this place today, they are a representative of you to some of the most broken and painful and dark areas, not just of our world, but of our lives. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.